Our Gospel reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20. And this takes place the same day that Jesus rose from the dead. Um, and of course, he has seen and spoken to Mary Magdalene in the garden. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. This incident that I'm going to relate to you took place about three years ago, but it is, it is happening still today. The Hutto Detention Center for Women is near Austin, Texas. I'm here to visit a detainee who has no papers to allow her to be legally in this country. I've come with two other visitors who are already talking with the women that they've been assigned to. There are others in the visiting room too. As I wait, I focus on a family, mom, dad, a young child, and a young woman, just a girl really, the only one dressed in the regulation plain Hanes t-shirt, jeans, and Crocs that tell me that she is the detainee. 
The girl leans in close, alternately with her mother and her father. Sometimes they talk. Sometimes there's an easy silence among this group. The mother gently smooths and fixes the young girl's hair. Their pain is palpable. My assigned detainee does not arrive, so I approach the guard to ask where she is. There's been a mix-up, and she's called again. I know that she's from Uganda, and since most of the women here are Latina, when a young black woman comes into the visiting room, I know it's Rebecca. Her appearance is shocking. She is tall, gaunt, unsmiling, and her eyes are bloodshot in a way that only eyes that rarely see sleep can be. We greet awkwardly, I trying to explain the detention center visitation program that I belong to, Rebecca insisting that she had not requested a visit. She is articulate. I know of the program, she comments in her precise East, precise East African voice, the words carefully selected and quietly intoned. But I did not ask for a visit. I wonder who sent you. I feel awkward. I try to suggest that perhaps she'd checked a box on an intake form that she'd forgotten about, but she is insistent. If you don't want me to visit, that's okay, I say. But Rebecca did not refuse my visit that day or in subsequent weeks. She began to talk a little, guardedly. She had come from Uganda seeking asylum. Her husband was a Lord's Resistance Army rebel. I knew that meant that he had committed violence, terror, mutilations. She had been abducted and forced to marry. I draw my own conclusions about the horrors that she has witnessed, perhaps even <coughs> committed herself. She has come seeking asylum with no vision of what that might look like. Rebecca lives in despair. She's waiting. She does not know how long she will wait or what the outcome of her waiting will be. This is the cruelty of the detention system. As Rebecca waits, she relives her memories in loneliness and fear of what the future might hold. Three days after they saw their Lord crucified, the disciples gather at night. The time frame is not coincidental. Nighttime is a time of mystery of liminal space, a between time when the unexpected might occur. It is Easter Sunday, the day of Christ's resurrection. Mary Magdalene has just incredibly seen Jesus in the garden, out in the open, in the full light of day. And now they are all gathered together in the dark of night, 
including, we can assume, Mary, since we know she's told the disciples that she saw Jesus. But do they believe her? After all, they're all traumatized, fearful for their lives, disappointed in themselves for their inability to stay with Jesus at the very end. And traumatized people might make mistakes or imagine that they see things. They had all come to Jesus believing in and loving his words of salvation, love, justice, freedom. And he had been taken from them and hung on a cross to die. They are waiting. They do not even know what they're waiting for or how long they must wait or what they should do while they wait. They've been plunged into the depths of fear, confusion, and despair, facing a terrifying and uncertain future. And then Jesus arrives, like the divine, divine being that he is, appearing there in a locked room amongst them, showing them his wounds, his hands, and his side, to be sure they know for certain now that he is the Messiah. They saw him dead, but now he has risen from the grave and is standing among them. We hear that the disciples are overjoyed to see their Lord. John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, does not tell us of their shock, their confusion, their incredulity, but surely they feel all these things. They are, after all, only human beings standing in the presence of their risen God. Always profoundly understanding what his disciples need of him, Jesus displays his humanity to them, telling them that though he is fully God, he still retains his humanity. You might expect the wounds to be gone. <coughs> Excuse me. After all, he overcame death. Would he not also want to overcome injury, hurt, degradation, humiliation? But the earthly, bodily part of Jesus is still there undeniably present in those terrible wounds. And he shows these to the disciples, claiming, I am still like you. And this means that you can be like me. I know what it is to hurt and to overcome hurt. I know what it is to bear wounds and to bear them proudly. Henry Nouwen describes the concept of the wounded healer. He recounts the Jewish tale of the Messiah who sits with the wounded. Unlike the others who unbind all their wounds at the same time, then bind them again with clean dressings, the Messiah unbinds and rebinds his wounds one at a time 
so that he can always be ready to tend to the needs of others. He is never in a state where all his wounds are exposed, and yet he still tends those wounds that he has received. We all have wounds that we bear. If we accept this and deal with our wounds without denying them, we, like Christ, can serve others whose wounds are fresh and deeply hurting. <coughs> Excuse me. When finally, a week later, he sees Thomas, who was not present at the first meeting, Jesus is not content to simply show Thomas his wounds. Rather, he says, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. It is as if Christ is asking Thomas to enter into his earthliness, his bodiliness. Leander Keck comments that Jesus does not condemn Thomas for his doubt, but kindly, knowingly offers Thomas what he needs in order to calm his fear and his doubt. Jesus offers us, too, the utmost in grace by being among us in human form, by honoring that human form, allowing us to follow him in the only way that we can on this earth, by serving with our hands and our feet, our lips and our ears. Christ asks Thomas to enter fully into the Christian life, to reach into Christ's very being, his incarnation, it is not enough to see Christ, to see his wounds, but we must reach deeply into Christ and into Christ's way. In this way, John tells us in chapter 20, verse 31, we will have life. It is not only Christ's death that gives us new life. It is his life, the act of his living that shows us how to live and that takes us along with him into this beautiful realm of serving others, loving all people and all creation, healing relationships and living in the fullness and joy of the moment. It is through Christ's body too that his disciples in verse 22 receive the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus imparts the Spirit with his own breath, his breath, the source of life for all living creatures. As he leaves the Spirit with them and by extension also with us, Jesus is still a living breathing being. By the end of this passage, the mystery has in some ways been made clear, but in many ways it has deepened. 
Jesus has appeared as a human still, but now clearly, indisputably divine. He has returned, but will he stay? He has breathed the Holy Spirit upon the disciples and given them the power to forgive sins, and he is sending them as the Father sent him. But with the deepening of the mystery, there is clarity of purpose. The disciples know Jesus lives. They know with certainty that he is the Messiah. They are no longer waiting in uncertainty. They have work to do in bringing others fully into the life that they have been fully given. Most of all, they and we know that Jesus will always be with us. That knowledge is for us the source of abundant life even in the face of death and turmoil. Rebecca faces turmoil. Like the disciples, she has witnessed cruelty, degradation, and death. She seeks respite from that suffering, and she asks for prayers for safety and peace. Meanwhile, she must wait. It's a difficult place to wait. But while she waits, Christ's presence is palpable at the detention center. It is there in the arms of that mother and father visiting their child. It is there in the hands and the hearts of the detained women who give each other courage and hope. It is there in the presence of a guard who uses kind words and caring gestures, even as she must enforce institutional regulations. It is there wherever human needs are seen and tended to. Where are the places in your life that you must wait? Do you wait for a child or a grandchild to find their way in the world? Do you wait with a loved one who is sick or even near death? Do you wait for the healing of our beautiful lands and waterways? Do you wait for the chains of injustice and oppression to be broken for all people? Rebecca may not find the asylum that she seeks. We may not see an end to all pain and injustice before we die. But as we wait, Christ waits with us. His triumphant return as fully divine and fully human assures us that God in Christ knows our moments of joy and our moments of despair. And he waits with us, anxious too for the restoration of God's whole creation in love, compassion, forgiveness, justice, and boundless grace. Amen. Would you please stand and let us say together the Apostles' Creed. 
I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and 